All right, so I grew up um, a million years ago, <laughs> land far away, right here in Minnesota, okay? Actually, not, not too far from here. And, and I can remember, as I was growing up here in Minnesota, early on, like, the Olympics were a really big deal. Like, it meant something when we could stick it to the communist countries. How many of you are with me? <laughs> Amen. Amen. So, you know, every four years, I paid attention to the Olympics, and I'm locked in. And, and okay, 1976, Olympics were in Montreal, okay? I'm 11 years old. And the event is the decathlon, which is, you know, like the ultimate event for track and field, right? You got 10 events really in one. And you guys know this, right? Yeah! He won the whole thing. I was so excited, 11 years old and all that. He was, like, amazing. So much so that, remember this? Yeah, his picture on the Wheaties box. He was like this American hero. Okay, so then after that, Bruce Jenner kind of drops off the radar screen. At least for me, he did, really. Until 2015. You know what's coming. And then this happened. <laughs> so this was in April 2015. Um, it was an interview with Diane Sawyer, Sawyer on, on 2020. And Jenner comes out as a trans woman, okay? He says, well, he goes, she said <laughs> that she's been struggling with gender dysphoria ever since her youth, and for all intents and purposes, she says, I am a woman. Hmm. Okay, I don't know about you, uh, but there are certain people, like, when you find out that they change genders, or maybe they're, you know, lesbian, gay, whatever, it doesn't surprise you? That one, that one surprised me, okay? Now, there's nothing, this isn't new. It's not a new conversation, okay? What does it mean to be a man? What is life as a man? What is life as a woman? What do those things even mean? Which one am I? In fact, there was a guy discontent with his life as a man, but maybe for different reasons, because he would go to work every day, eight hours, put those eight hours in, and kind of old traditional school, his wife got to stay home. And he's like, I got to pray about this. Good thing to do, right? Pray about that. So he prays to the Lord, 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 it just isn't fair that I have to go and work eight hours a day, and my wife gets to stay home, and Lord, I just want her to understand. I want her to see this is what I go through as a man. So, Lord, could you, just for one day, allow her body to switch with mine? And the Lord, in his infinite wisdom, grants the man's wish, right? Next day, poof, wakes up as a woman. Gets up, makes breakfast for his mate, gets the kids up, sets out their clothes, makes them breakfast, packs their lunch, takes them off to school. After that, goes home, gets the dry cleaning, takes it to the dry cleaner, goes to the bank to make a deposit, does grocery shopping, takes the groceries home, puts the groceries away, pays some bills, balances the checkbook, cleans out the kitty litter box, bathes the dog. By this time, I realize it's 1 o'clock. Ah! Goes upstairs, makes the bed, does the laundry, vacuums, dusts, washes the, bath, the, the kitchen floor, and then realizes it's time to pick the kids up from school. Goes to school, picks up the kids, gets in an argument on the way home. Anybody get an argument with the kids on the way home? Hey, Amen. All right. Gets them home, though, sets out some milk and cookies, gets them doing their homework, and goes into the living room, sets up an ironing board, does some ironing while watching some TV. Time for dinner. Peels some potatoes, washes some vegetables for a salad, breads the pork chops, makes this great dinner, puts it on the table, serves it. Afterwards, cleans it up, puts it into the dishwasher, okay? Then goes and folds the laundry that had been done, all right? Cleans up some stuff, 
gives the kids some baths, takes the kids, gets them set. By this time, it's 9 p.m. He's exhausted, okay? And even though all the chores had not been done, okay, goes to bed where he was expected to make love, which he managed to get through, by the way, without complaint. <laughs> the next day, he wakes up immediately, gets out of bed, gets down on his knees, Lord, I was so wrong to envy my wife. Oh, oh Lord, Lord, please, please, please allow us to switch back. And the Lord, in his infinite wisdom, says, my son, I think you've learned your lesson. So I'll switch you back. You just have to wait nine months, though, because you got pregnant last night. <laughs> By the way, that is a true story. That's how my wife and I got our fourth child. No, no, no. Actually, I know it's true because it was on the internet. <laughs> Let me tell you something about the world in which we live. We have men who think that they would be better off as women. And we have women who think they'd be better off as men. And, you know, dealing with youth groups and youth stuff, and we have kids. We have, we have boys who think they'd be better off as girls, and we have girls who think they'd be better off as boys. And we have girls who are sexually attracted to girls. We have boys who are sexually attracted to boys. We have some who are attracted to neither. We have some who are attracted to both. And, and this is just the tip of the iceberg. Maybe some of you recall when Facebook came out with 58 different designations under the category gender. 58. Now they simplified a little bit. <laughs> Go on Facebook, this is what you get. <laughs> Male, female, custom. <laughs> OK, while this all is nothing new, I will tell you what is new how social media and a permission-giving culture have pushed all of these conversations into the mainstream. And so here we are now at a national youth gathering talking about gender identity and sexual orientation. My goal, I guess, today in just the little bit of time we have here today is give you some information and give you some tools to help you out as you're dealing with some of these issues. And actually, our own Lutheran Church Missouri Synod has been doing some research on this. And, and not just about gender identity and sexuality issues, but finding out where are our kids on a whole host of issues. And how can, how can we, as congregations, be engaged in healthy ministry to them? And what's, what's come out of this is, you're going to hear some more about this, are these seven habits of healthy youth ministry. And, and I think some of them come to bear in our conversation today. Like they have found congregations that have healthy youth ministry have warmth, challenge, and grace. I'm going to talk about that more in just a little bit. Uh, they've also found that they have supportive adults. That's you guys. Let's hear it for yourselves. Woo! <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They have also found that they have engaged parents which actually might be some of you as well. How many of you? Engaged parents? Awesome, awesome. Do you know that they found in interviewing uh, young adults, so these are people who are just out of their high school years, of young adults, the respondents said one in three of them 
that a parent was the most influential person in their life? One in three. There you are. You're making the difference. Okay. Part of what I want to do today, too, um, is encourage you. Don't ever underestimate the impact that you have on kids. You know, in, in the research that the LCMS did, they dug into a little bit. Why? Why is it that some kids remain active and some just drop off the radar screen? Okay. Now, they, they found, and this is, this is active LCMS young adults, okay? 72% stayed connected because they had someone in the church they felt was safe to talk to. There was a place where they could go with the hard conversations, ask the hard questions. That's awesome, people. And it's also so important because I will tell you, if there's a part of life where there are hard questions and there are challenging conversations, it's with gender identity and sexual orientation. And if there is anyone who needs a safe place to talk, it's a high school kid who's struggling with these issues. Or they have a friend who is dealing with this. Or they have a family member dealing with this. I do uh, student ministry at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Anybody Colorado? Nice. Thank you. Uh, it is kind of a crazy story how an old guy like me is doing student ministry. That's a story for another day. But I will contend this. Any of you doing student ministry is a crazy story. <laughs> you don't think so? Denial. <laughs> so several years ago, there was a girl in our youth group uh, named Christina. Wicked smart. Wicked smart. Talented musician. Uh, she was the bass player in our youth band. And her family, very connected to our church, regular attenders. So Christina goes off to college, and her mom starts coming to me with questions. Because Christina is struggling with her gender. And she wants to present as a man instead of as a woman or female. Uh, she wants to start taking some hormones. Okay? So I talked, I talked with Christina. But she was heading down a road that she was not about to change. So she changes her name to Tristan. She grew a beard. Anyone who would meet her now would say, she's a man. Have you ever stopped to think of some of the hard questions that come with that? Like, first off, just what name do I use to talk to her? Or, well, speaking of that, like what pronoun do I use? Is it her? Is it him? You know, there are some social media sites that give you another option. It's them. Well, them is plural. That doesn't make any sense to me. Or how about this? What if she decides to date? Does she have to tell the person she's dating? Or if she does have to tell the person she's dating, at what point in the relationship does she have to tell them? Or let's say she's dating a female. Does that mean she is a lesbian? Or is it heterosexual now because she switched teams? And then she invites you to the wedding. Do you go? Okay, now this one's crazy. Her mom brought this up with me. I didn't even think about this. Many women who go through a gender change don't get rid of their original plumbing. What if she 
as the husband, somehow manages to get pregnant. Is she the father? Is she the mother? Is she both? Okay, okay. these are really hard questions. And they're, they're hard questions that call for a God who is real and a God who is present. And it's, it's time for the church, at least in, in, in some places, to stop hiding from the questions or stop oversimplifying the questions and just engage in a healthy discussion about how we can help our kids navigate these waters. And I will tell you something. You're on the front lines with this. You are those supportive adults that the research says makes a difference. You, you are the ones to speak with that warmth and the challenge and the grace into these very personal conversations. And what we're dealing with at its heart here is an identity issue. You have to understand, it seems strange, but those who are dealing with gender identity issues, sexual attraction issues, it's really very little about with whom do you want to have sex, biological urges, okay? And it really is more about where do I find a sense of belonging and acceptance? It's like, who am I and who is like me? Okay, now, if you read the Bible, right, you know our identity is in Christ, okay? But I will tell you, it is one thing to hear those words. That's a whole other thing to, to, to take them in and to live it. Apostle Paul talks about this in Galatians, Galatians 2, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Okay? Now, if it's I who live, then I control the discussion about my identity. If Christ lives in me, then Christ drives all of this identity stuff. In the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, gender dysphoria is defined as having strong, persistent feelings of identification with another gender and discomfort with one's own assigned gender. Okay, what I want to do now is I want to level the playing field a little bit. Because I will tell you, there are some people who have gender dysphoria. It's a reality. But I will contend that we all have some kind of dysphoria. Because what a dysphoria is, it's this kind of state of unrest or just a general kind of contention with life the way it is. And all of us, all of us knows deep down there is a different, better version of ourselves out there somewhere. And regardless of how strong or persistent those feelings are, Every one of us has this discontent with the me that we see in the mirror. Now, not all of the dysphoria is bad. In fact, because of the saving work of Jesus Christ, we long for this, this new, this different me that's going to be in the resurrection. That's the dysphoria that's a result of the gospel. But there's also this discontent that comes from sin. The dysphoria that becomes in us because of sin. 
And that's this dissatisfaction with self. It, 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 it's, sin sparks this war in us. Okay? So now what happens is inside of me, inside of me, there is something that's fighting against the me that God designed in all of us. In fact, the Apostle Paul talks about this. Romans chapter 7, verse 23, he says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death. You know what this war means? We're all in trouble. I just want to tell you, we're not picking on people with gender identity issues today or people who are struggling with their sexual orientation. All of us are in trouble. And I will even go as far as to say every one of us, our attractions are off. Our desires are skewed. We're doing a lot with the Psalms at this convention, right? Beautiful Psalm 139. You've already heard some of it in our, in our sessions, mass sessions. Psalm 139 starts out this way. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. We are known by God, but we aren't just known by God. If you bump ahead to verses 13 and 14, for you formed me in my inward places. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Yeah, you are made by God. And, and I want you to notice the kind of work that God does. I praise you because I am fearfully, wonderfully made. That's you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God does great work. But what does the psalmist then ask at the end of the psalm? Verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I want to translate that for you. Lord, I need you to check me out on this because I can't trust my thoughts. My desires might be leading me down the wrong road. I need you to lead me. I need you, Lord, to tell me what my identity is. Lord, I am attracted to things to which I should not be attracted. God, I need you to call the shots. Here's why I'm trying to level the playing field a little bit. There is way too much judgment interfering with our conversations about gender identity and sexual orientation. Uh, we'll get to that. Sexual orientation. We need more, we need more warmth and compassion. Let me, let me just give you a little window into the life of someone who's feeling a same-sex attraction or someone who's feeling gender dysphoria, okay? Loneliness is a huge issue. Huge. And there's a lot of hurt from, from all sorts of directions. Social isolation, and honestly, sometimes it is self-inflicted, but not always. Thoughts of suicide, attempts, anxiety, depression. You know, they, they surveyed teens, 
and they ask them the question, when you have felt inferior, what is the main reason? By the way, 95% of kids have admitted to feeling inferior, okay? 13% said it was their gender. 13%. 6% said their sexual orientation. These are people for whom Christ died. Okay, earlier this year I was at the LCMS Megachurch Conference, which was in Palm Springs, California. By the way, do you know, population of Palm Springs, California, 65 to 70% LBGTQ, and increasing. So at this conference we had, one of our speakers was Caleb Kaltenbach. Maybe you've heard of Kaltenbach from his work on Messy Grace. And he told a little bit of a story. When he was two years old, his parents divorced, and both of his parents then went into same-sex relationships. His mom was like, militant feminist, lesbian agenda, marching in parades. In fact, Caleb can recall as a kid marching with his mom in these parades, right? So one of these parades, Caleb sees these protesters throwing urine on the people in the parade, and he asks his mom, who are those people? She said, those are the Christians. And this is what she said to him. Christians hate gay people. And if you're not like them, they won't like you. <laughs> those, those are the assumptions. <laughs> That's what Caleb grew up with, and he figured that was just true about Christians until he actually met some Christians who believe what the Bible says, and he found out those assumptions are not true. But i got to confront this a little bit today. I just have to. Because this, for whatever reason, this is like a really uncomfortable topic for a lot of Christians. And it's one that turns them to anger. I will tell you, if we are going to make a difference in the lives of people who are struggling with their sexual orientation, their gender identity, people for whom Christ died, we don't need more angry Christians. What we need are compassionate Christians who will speak the truth. Yeah. We just can't afford to let the, the radicals control this conversation. We need to take it away from them and speak into the lives of our youth with those three things we mentioned earlier, warmth, challenge, and grace. About a month ago, uh, there was an event in Denver, and probably some of you had it in your cities, um, sponsored by the LBGT community called Pride Fest. Okay? Uh, it's a two-day now annual event, unfortunately, in Denver. And one of, the, one of the banners that they carried in the parade, I'm sure you've heard this, more love, less hate. All right, this is going to seem a little strange, but I'm going to side with the LBGT community on this one. More love. That's what we need, more love. And I will tell you this, hate has absolutely no place in this. Hate for sin? Absolutely. Hate for a person? Never. Because let me tell you something that's true about you know, someone who is finding themselves attracted to someone of the same gender 
or someone who wants to change their assigned gender, or at least present differently than their assigned gender. They're looking to be filled. They are looking for fulfillment in something that can't get the job done. And, and, and this is, you gotta understand, they're, they're emptying themselves. They, they're their own victims. They're, they're harming themselves. And see, when God's up there, it's not like, okay, what's going to be a sin? Okay, and this divine being says, all right, some things will be wrong and some things will be right. That's just not how it works. You know what makes sin, sin? A loving, heavenly father looks at us and says, i got to stop that. So this loving father is trying to protect his precious children. And this, this all goes back to identity. It's about identity. Who am I? I was sitting in my office one day, and one of my confirmation students came in. She comes, she sits down. And this is how she opened the conversation. I think I'm bi. You know, attracted to males and females, but bisexual. By the way, just out of curiosity, any of you had that happen to you, like a kid just throw that out to you? Okay, so some of you have dealt with that. Well, over the course of the conversation, I told her, in fact, that she was not bi. Now, she was dealing with attraction to males and females, but that didn't define her. That's, that's not her identity. And this is perhaps one of the most important things I'm going to say today. Our desires, our inclinations, even our past behaviors do not define us. Our identity is in Christ. You know, Apostle Paul was dealing with kind of a crazy situation, wasn't he? 1 Corinthians 6, lists a whole bunch of sins. Sexual immorality is the first one on the list. But he also mentions some pretty nasty other stuff, like adultery. And then he does get to homosexuality. And I'll tell you the reason he mentions all of this is because there were people in the church at that time who were sexually immoral. They were committing adultery. They were engaged in sexual sin of homosexuality. And yet this is what Paul says. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Here, here's what I want you to be able to say about yourself, okay? I am not a sexual immoralitor. That's not a word, is it? <laughs> All right. I am not an adulterer. I'm not homosexual. I'm not bisexual. I'm not queer. I am washed. I am sanctified in the name of of my Lord Jesus Christ, redeemed in his name and by the spirit of our God. And I will tell you something, starting there has an incredible power to be unifying in a discussion that has so much potential to divide us. And just for a moment, allow yourself to think about identity instead of as this thing that separates us or differentiates between us and puts this divide. Let's look at identity as something that unites us. Because I will tell you something, at our core, we are the same. All of us here. We are all humans. 
We are humans created in the image of God, being restored in his image, equally redeemed. In fact, so much so that the Apostle Paul says here in Galatians 3, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. And there's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. All right. From that unity then, there flows this amazing diversity. After, after telling you now that we're all the same, I'm going to tell you none of us is the same. Okay? We are all unique members of the body of Christ. And honestly, I think this is where some of our discussion about gender identity and sexual orientation has broken down. Because, yes, there are two teams. Galatians 3 talks about it, but it's all over the Bible. There's male, there's female. There are not 58 different styles and versions, and there are certainly no custom versions. Okay? And sexual activity, sexual desire, clearly to be between male and female. One male, one female. But there is a lot of diversity in the human population that doesn't fit neatly into two categories. And the LBGTQ community is trying to convince us it's a gender thing. It's not. Okay, when I was growing up, I heard that wrestlers were gay. Sweaty guys rolling around on a mat together. And people involved in theater were homos. Okay, now, being someone who's involved in both wrestling and theater, <laughs> I took a little exception to those comments, okay? But it all reveals a, a deeper issue. We have all these like, social cues and rules and customs and norms that tell us, you know, this is what males do and this is what females do. But you know what? We just cannot limit tender hearts or artistic expression or certain movies or style of clothes or hobbies or whatever to one gender or the other. And we got to stop pushing people into categories because they simply don't fit into our little box of what people should do because they don't want to date. Or they play a certain sport. And we need to stop squelching this beautiful mosaic that God has made in his human population by saying, boys don't do that. And girls don't do that when, honestly, a lot of this is just our human opinion. And yes, there are boundaries, okay? There are boundaries around our sexual attractions. There are rules about marriage. Absolutely. I, I truly think, though, that in some of these other areas, for some people, this isn't for all, but for some people, they have come to the conclusion, I must be something else. Because society has told them, if you do this, you are whatever that is. I say, you are washed. You are sanctified. You are redeemed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And a lot of the rest is open. About 12 years ago, uh, there was a gang-related murder in our neighborhood just close to the church. I got called up for jury duty. 
I was the foreman of the jury on that trial. I will tell you, that was an educational experience. <laughs> so we found the defendant guilty on six of the seven charges, right? But this is how it works. So I'm in the jury booth, and you hand the verdict to the bailiff, and the bailiff goes over and hands it to the judge. Defendant standing right where you are. Sorry, nothing personal. <laughs> on the count of murder in the second degree, the jury finds the defendant guilty, signed David Languish. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I'm here, he's here, this is a gang-related murder. It's like, what, you just said my name. <laughs> like I said, I learned a lot in the trial. I also learned a little bit about gangs. Do you know why a lot of people join gangs? Sense of community. And it really does sound strange, but there's this sense, I belong here. What if we could make that happen in our churches? With those who are struggling with gender identity, sexuality issues, in our youth groups. Not, not in any way compromising the truth. Not in any way backing off of that challenge to leave a life of sin. But doing it with such love, such warmth, such grace that anyone could say, I belong here. I think Jesus would smile. You know, Jesus had really strong convictions. And he had high expectations of people, didn't he? But he hung out with a crazy mix of people. And I say we do the same. Let me pray for you. Gracious Lord, I do pray for each person in this room. Thank you, thank you for their heart, for serving kids and youth, and especially with this issue. Just give us clarity to know when it's warmth, when it's challenge, when it's grace. And keep us engaged, Lord, because we know through that you're going to make a difference. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>